This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and what is happening, automotive multiverse? Take that, Sean. Anyways, I am excited to have back on the podcast once again my good friend, Tanner Brandt, who I would try to tell you what he does, but he does everything. So he can't. Just assume he does everything. I think he even built his own house. He designed it. He probably built it. He's shaking his head, but I think he might be lying because he's modest. No, I, I definitely did not build it. I cannot swing a hammer. One thing in my life I can't if you're do. You're using a hammer nowadays. <laughs> you're doing something wrong. Even on cars, right? God, you see somebody using a hammer, you're kind of like, hey, Neanderthal, what are you doing? Are you tired of searching for trained technicians? If so, let NAP Autotech help you build a technician with their Build-A-Tech program, kind of like Build-A-Bear. These three-day courses cover one of four individual topics, brakes, electrical, steering and suspension, or HVAC through a combination of classroom lecture, hands-on, and utilizing training mock-ups. Visit NapaAutotech.com. So my dad is a uh, home contractor and has been for like 40 years. And I tell everybody when he uh, realized that I wasn't ever going to work out in that trade, I think he kind of disowned me a little bit. I was using a ball-peen hammer on my first house, and he was helping me. <laughs> he literally looked at me, and he was like, yeah, you're definitely not not cut out for this. <laughs> and that was when I knew that it was just never, you know, not going to work. And I think part of that, too, is was the hold the flashlight moment of, like, you know, people joke about holding the flashlight for their dad and getting yelled at me. It was working on houses and him telling me I was doing things wrong, like use a ball-peen hammer. <laughs> nails so that's no, awesome I, I did not build this house but i told the uh, builder that i would be his easiest client because i knew that things would go wrong uh and was okay with it but also knew that i wasn't going to be able to do it on my own so the only stuff that i did was uh at the very end finish work hanging some things and stuff like that um, but that you're was not, you're not like one of those uh clients that are kind of like with car clients sometimes like ah, i do it myself but i just you know i just don't have that time or i, I really didn't want to buy all that equipment but i you know i could do that i've you know, I used to, I used to build houses for a living. I used to be a framer. No, if, if I tried to frame this house, not only would it not have been square, but it would not be standing right now. It would have fallen over as soon as we put drywall on it. <laughs> One of those people that were, they've done everything everywhere, born the, in a helicopter. Yeah, the, the like worst. But no, yeah. it was a, uh, so for, for him and he did tell me when he got done, he goes, you were definitely my best client because nothing like i don't care if stuff goes you wrong paid on time oh yeah all that too <laughs> paid on time and like we had like a broken window pane and he was all worried when it came in of like don't worry we'll fix it and i'm like i'm shocked that that's the only one we had two- yeah just use some shipping tape come on man <laughs> yeah. we had two 12 foot <laughs> uh slider doors and like I thought for sure that one of those would come smashed. Like it was an absolute miracle that they didn't. So I was fine with everything. And he's like, Oh, this is, this is great. You don't care about any of this. I'm like, no, nah, we're good. It'll get fixed eventually. Nice. So. Well, vision is literally around the corner. Correct. And, uh, you reached out to me and said you had an idea. And I said, great. Cause I'm fresh out. <laughs> uh, other than like more movie references. <laughs> 
<laughs> never go wrong with but, movie references. In the interest of variety, uh, no, I, I'm kind of excited to hear this and uh, participate in your podcast. So thanks. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks for letting me come on and uh, talk about it. So I'd reached out to Matt about... Uh, trying to talk about like how to get the most out of training events and i said well because vision is coming up uh, and it's kind of i guess i always joke about this being like the start of travel season in the spring there's a lot of events coming up we have vision and stx and the big event and you know on and on and on they just all kind of start in march so i've always said that it was important to look at class lists and go in your mind like how do I select classes and what should I be aware of before I go to an event. Uh, Most of my shops locally uh, have the opportunity where if I'm at their shop and they're going to go to an event they ask me and they'll come out with a training list and go you know what should I attend what's good and uh, I have one of my shops attending vision this year for the first time and his nephew oddly was in one of my classes last year at vision and he did not know that I taught or anything. And I didn't know that he was interested in going. So uh, I got a text message as I was teaching the class asking what I was doing uh, in Kansas city, teaching a class because his nephew was sitting in my, in the front row and actually won a scan tool from the class. So it was like real weird, small world scenario. Uh, So at any rate, he's coming this year. And he's been asking me, you know, what should I, what classes should I take? How should I pick classes? He's bringing his entire shop. What I like to do is I get a printout of all the instructors' profiles or photos. And I situate them in a somewhat circular fashion on a wall. And then I stand, I don't know, over the years I have to stand further and further back. So I'm probably up to about 40 feet right now. And I just start winging darts. (laughs) I have to level with you, though. I have a knack for hitting Brandon Steckler right in the forehead. (laughs) So that's usually where I end up. Nice. Do you make some of them bigger than others so that your odds of Well, Brandon's is, yeah, like six feet by six feet and everybody else is, you know, like little wallets. It it can't be six feet by six feet. It's exaggerated. You'd have to blow the picture up to get to six feet. It is, he, literally. He has the it same problem I do. <laughs> it's as blown up as his ego. <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor Brandon. He's going to hate me for this. He's like, who is this Matt Fonslow guy? He's the Jeez. same height as me. Neither one of us will make it to six foot without uh, going over 100% on a printout. <laughs> <laughs> so, the big thing that it's funny you bring up instructors. So, Uh, Even though we joke about looking at the instructors, that's a big part of the class. So for me, I obviously am, you know, I have friends, you and Scott and John and uh, Scott Schott and Eric Ziegler and Scott Manna and, you know, the list goes on and on and on. We already did a name dropping episode. We do have to do another one, but I wouldn't recycle. This, This is true. But so at any rate, like I like taking, you know, friends classes. However, I think it's important to try to also take classes from people that you haven't sat through a class before. So if you've sat through, you know, five of John's classes and now there's somebody new to sit in, I think it's worth sitting in the new class, see what you can get. Uh, The other big thing is I told this shop and I tell all my shops, 
pay attention, you know, in the months leading up to or year leading up, if you know, you know, ahead of time that you're going to go, what you or your guys are struggling with. So if, you know, they got a communication problem and it absolutely ate their lunch, then they're going to take communication classes and they're going to take network classes. What I think always kind of irks me uh, is people not understanding how to learn, how to further their education. Uh, so one of the common ones that I see is, well, we work on a lot of Fords and I know those really well, so I'm going to take a Ford class. And then they go to the class and they're like, I didn't really learn anything. I already knew all that. And I go, well, that's all you work on every single day, day in and day out. So obviously you didn't learn anything. You got to choose things that you don't know about or things that just absolutely beat you up. Then I get, when I tell the shops this and I tell the technicians this, they're like, well, you know, then I'm going to sit in a class I don't know anything about. And it's, you know, maybe kind of uncomfortable because I'm lost. (laughs) Yeah. Make yourself uncomfortable. Sit in on classes that you know nothing about, but either A, have gotten beat up on, or B, you've turned work away because you don't know something about it. Uh, you know, maybe you're been turning programming away. Obviously, I, that's, you know, my bread and butter is programming and diagnostics. Maybe you're a shop that's turning programming away, but maybe you have the tools and you don't even know that you have the tools. Yeah. So you could take a programming class and then make that decision of, is that something I want to get into? Maybe you have six body shops right next to you and you've been being pressured about doing ADOS. Well, maybe that's a class you should take and say, is this something I can do? Do I have the space to do it? Um, could my guys handle doing it? So going through those different things of to make choices, figuring out uh, you know, how to put a class list together. Once you know what classes that you think they're going to need, what stuff beat them up, then maybe talk to somebody like you, Matt, of like, all right, I see, you know, there's several different scope classes. What scope class should I take? Should I sit in on Matt's scope class? Should I sit on it on Adam Robertson's class? If you don't know the instructors, there's certainly, you know, talking to somebody like Matt or any of the people, Sean Patrick Tipping or Tommy Olivia or, you know, any of the guys that have gone a lot, Pedro De La Torre, ask those guys of like, well, who do you like? You know, whose class would you recommend sitting in? I see there's six different programming classes. Should I sit in on this class or should I sit in on, you know, maybe I see this Keith guy. Should I, you know, take his class? Talk to people and ask and find out, you know, which instructor might be a good fit or, you know, might you get the most information from. I agree. And, and really, I, I mean, I think there's just kind of people, you know, that have some names, they've been around and if you can catch them at a trade, at the trade show or slide into their DMS, um, you know, just send a quick message. And, um, I, I, most of them, I think I know are more than willing to fire off a couple ideas or they'll ask you maybe a couple questions and then, but it's, they're going to echo a lot of what you just said. Like, what are you doing? What don't you do? What are you interested in getting into? What kicks your tail? Uh, I just, a lot of that's going to echo that. And honestly, you kind of have phases of attending, right? Your first couple times, I, I think almost primarily you should try to see the big name, quote unquote, big name instructors that you may never have not seen before. Yeah. You, you should make a concerted effort 
It doesn't matter what they're teaching. I, I don't care. They could they could teach you floor maintenance. It's worth it. Agreed. It, especially, I would say, this year, uh, we've already talked about that two big-name instructors are doing uh, only one class each and are definitely pulling back. And, you know, I guess I would say I don't know how much longer they intend to do it. And they've not said anything about retiring, but obviously if they're teaching less classes, I have to assume that that's you know on their mind uh one of which already you know sold a shop and <laughs> we know is doing it for nothing else than to continue to help the industry he could walk away at any time he doesn't need to keep doing it yep took on a consulting gig and yeah and and, and life is good <laughs> yeah, his, his face is gonna be on the sphere man <laughs> gonna be just like the eye of sauron coming into vegas yeah Scott Manna looking around, eyeing you as you land, <laughs> walking up the strip. It's going to happen. We we should have somebody Photoshop his face on the sphere for us. I am almost positive somebody has. <laughs> Their name may rhyme with Lacey. <laughs> nice. A little bit like crazy, but not quite. <laughs> And then, and then the, the next phase is you've, you've gone, you've seen these guys, maybe you're going to go to them again, you know, because of different content and you really like them. And like you said, they're only doing a class. So it doesn't, you know, you're not taking three, four days of these uh, presenters, which I'm not saying would be a waste of time if they did them, but it does open up the possibility of now expanding out into the subject matter, the stuff that's kicking your butt, the stuff that applies to your day in and day out. And then I think the third phase is you've been going for quite a while and many of these courses you're going to go to, you're not going to take away as much as you used to. You you might take away somewhat little. You should value that little highly, but you're now taking things that are maybes, some mild interests. Like you, you are not in ADOS, but Take a couple classes, take a class about it to learn more about it and what it's going to take to get into it, space requirements, environmental requirements, equipment, etc. Or, you know, if you're not doing programming, like you said, or other more soft skills, you know, there's classes on uh, advising and management. And I, I don't know that I've ever seen where there's a prerequisite to attend a service advisor class that you are in fact a service advisor probably help you to go in as a tech to learn a little bit about that. I think any uh, communication leadership class and anything that's going to put you in a position to talk to other people, whether it be clients or internally, going to an advisor class can help you with that. Going to a communications course can help you with that. There's a guy local to me. uh, That's all he does. He's a communications course. And I love his, uh, the, one of the things he does is he takes people to downtown Greenville, just makes them talk to strangers. It is absolutely epic. (laughs) He takes people that are like antisocial, don't want to talk and he puts them in uncomfortable situations and just makes them talk to strangers and they come back better for it. And I've talked to him about, you know, before talking with people's service advisors and technicians, you know, it helps people to conversate, to be able to say, okay, you know, how can I explain things to normal people? If you're not good at conversating, then that explanation is probably not going to be great. 
So there's definitely nothing bad that can uh, come from taking those courses. For 98 years, the Napa name has meant quality parts and service. It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt, the technician shortage is impacting everyone, but you're not facing this battle alone. Napa has the solution by making Napa AutoTech training available near you. Napa AutoTech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. It's a fact technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technician's knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind, Napa AutoTech training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of Napa AutoTech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, Napa AutoTech is here to provide you with the training you need and the format that works best for you. To learn more about what Napa AutoTech offers, contact NapaAutoTech.com. Uh, another one, of course, the hot button one is EV. Yep. So if you really don't have much of a background in hybrid, you probably should be hitting a couple of EV classes and learning. I mean, of course, safety. I think you have to really work hard to get hurt working on EV. Like you have to be like grossly negligent. Um, but there's other certain little tidbits about hoisting some of these vehicles where the battery is an integral part of the frame that you should attend something to prep you for that because you may find you got to go spend a few hundred bucks on uh you know hockey pucks to uh properly lift these without potentially doing any damage and and then just the stuff that isn't different and uh just maintenance type stuff and just so the when the first one rolls in you're not just deer in the headlights right uh or little dunning kruger overly confident I think with EV stuff in general, so we've been used to for years, everything was like a Prius. And like you said, it was impossible to hurt yourself. Uh, Some of the newer all-electric stuff, they just expected that people that are going to work on them like won't do dumb things. So Tesla in particular, you can take, there's a cover on the battery under the seat, and you can take it off and then just check the like high voltage system at 300 and what odd volts yep. there's no interlock circuit to take it off <laughs> so the first time i learned that i was like oh it's kind of weird like any oh orange- i thought you were gonna say like you woke up <laughs> like 20 feet away and yeah, I, I stuck my fingers in like there sizzling <laughs> i mean you you could though because you don't know that like so i suppose you know if somebody were i'm gonna pick on the salvage yard stuff like that but if you like didn't know that the battery isn't disconnected when the covers come off. I mean, a Prius, when you take the covers off, it disconnects itself. It, it can be live and running, and you can take a cover off, and it disconnects itself. A Tesla uh, doesn't do that. And I had uh, one of my 
uh, dealership techs working on their own brand vehicle. Uh, this is like two months ago. He got shocked, um, was okay, but got shocked like pretty substantially um, taking a battery out. And I asked what, like, he tells me this and I'm like, this seems strange um, until I asked him what he did to disconnect it. And then I went and looked at the procedure and he did not, it was disconnected with a scan tool but that's only part of the procedure. Um, so I I don't know a ton about this particular vehicle, but I went looking. Basically, when you're disconnecting it from the scan tool, it's only taking it from like super high voltage down to a portion. So it was not like fully disconnected, I guess, and safe, I would say. And then he started disconnecting connectors, and obviously there must not be a interlock circuit on it either um which i didn't know i have not worked on one of these yet yeah i mean that's a big problem with high voltage connectors that's part of the reason amongst others like i I don't want to say this is the sole reason okay but one of the reasons we haven't seen a big jump to the 48 volts and the or or higher pick your voltage that they were talking about going to was arcing that you know you disconnect 12 volts there is technically a little bit of an arc right you jump that up to 48 and there is a significant arc and the chance of getting smacked is pretty good. And 48s, I guess I don't know if I've ever been hit by a 48, but, but DC voltage hits much different than AC. Correct. So she's got a little more. Mm. Yeah. So all of us that have been uh, licked by a you know 120 AC, it's not the same. Correct. But yeah, that's, that's interesting. And I'm also thinking like, you're not going to have firefighters running up to a car with a scan tool plugging into just, just a sec. Ah, it, it's doing an update. Just wait. Yeah. <laughs> you know, disconnecting it with a scan tool. There, there's going to be a mechanical means of disconnection. Correct. There has to be. Yeah. And rather, I don't know. I hate to say rather, but ra- usually rather quick to get to. Some of them aren't so much. But. Right, but still, at any rate, like it's a good example of, you know, like we were saying, of going to a training class, even if maybe you don't work on them. I mean, the guy that shocked himself on this is not the person that would normally be working on these. The other person was out sick. Uh, vehicle had been waiting, and they just said, oh, yeah, just go read service info and, you know, pull the battery out of it. They were switching a battery module that had already been diagnosed, so it wasn't, you know, he was just basically going to be the repair guy. So he didn't know about it and, you know, obviously, again, was fine. Didn't hurt himself or anything because it was, the voltage was low enough. That it wasn't a huge deal. Good. But at any rate, you know, maybe if he had opted to take one of those classes, he would have at least known. I mean, the safety aspect of it, of just checking zero potential, you know, is this thing actually disconnected? Is, you know, and it, maybe it's just a capacitor that's still charged at that point. But if you know to check things before you take it apart, then you're safe regardless. So taking a class on something like that, um, I look at right now, like you said, so kind of the third stage of I've been taking classes for a while. So then I start picking like, what specialty stuff can I take right now for me? Um, I, I think one of the last specialty classes I took was like a Subaru class. Um, there's some Subarus around here, not a ton, but I do get called on them once the in a while. Leo? Uh, I took one from Leo and one from, I forget the other guy's name, STX. The last STX, I just sat in on it for a little bit. 
but knowledgeable people and you know again i knew very little about the like software side of those cars i've done tons of head gaskets and stuff on them but you know i don't know anything really about sewer select monitor so you know looking at i guess scan tool classes looking at like one of the things i was uh thinking to myself that i'd like to see now toyota just uh sundown text stream so now we need some gts plus classes uh, i got my lunch eight this week with honda immobilizer tool i don't use honda immobilizer tool hardly at all because most of the scan tools even snap-on scan tools have done honda keys uh, i had one this week that wasn't a key issue it was actually a zf transmission in the TCM BCM Mary function is in the immobilizer tool, but it's missing from scan tools. So I had to go learn about how to, you know, use that and hadn't used it really in the past because I haven't had a need for it. So looking at like specialty things like that, you start to kind of drill down and go, oh, this would be nice to know. You know, I've never used this before. Um, obviously, right now with like Tesla and Rivian, we have, you know, classes on those that are going to start coming out. So to be able to say, ah, well, you know, I don't work on these. However, I probably will see one. You know, I have one of my shops just down at the bottom of the hill. He tows Tesla vehicles all the time. They don't work on them other than tires and stuff, but he's taken a bunch of classes on them because he needed to know how to get them into neutral when the battery was dead. How do I disconnect them if something's wrong with them? Um, you know, what do I need to do to tow them safely You know, and whatnot? So he's been taking classes on them, even though he doesn't work on them, just so he had the knowledge to do it. Yeah, I was thinking, I, I should have looked at the class lineup. I don't know if he's presenting it, but to your point, it's must-see for every level, especially playing into what we're talking about. And I guess the instructor I would, I would list as kind of one of those heavy hitter names too. Scott Brown puts on a class on... I think we'll just say technology, but he does a lot with um, photography. Yep. Which for DVIs, which is, you know, what he's targeting is freaking great. It is great to have somebody that is a, a very passionate hobbyist for t- uh, photography and educated and has used a wide range of cameras and, and by wide range I mean from probably the stuff that you and I use or started out using all the way up to quite expensive pieces of equipment talking about lighting and aperture it's a terrific terrific class I've taken it twice <laughs> yeah I've taken it once all the way through and then the second time I got to sit through it, the part I cared about I lucked out those pure luck wasn't because I wanted to sit through what I cared about and then bail. It's I had to bail at X amount, you know, at whatever time. And I caught the part I cared about. It was great. Uh, I I can't recommend that class enough. So if you see it pop up in one of the upcoming uh, training conferences, including vision, I strongly suggest you uh, jump in there and check that out. He's a terrific speaker. Uh, knowledgeable and the content is very pertinent to what we do day in and day out or if you don't do it yourself at least you can bring it back to the shop and do your own mini presentation of it and good photos sell a lot of freaking parts you know or services right 
good photos sell parts that cover your butt. I mean, I look at it too. We're in an age where data is king. So the more documentation that you have, um, taking photos when a vehicle gets there of all four corners of the vehicle, if there's a dent or ding, you can see it before, you know, you have pictures of it. If your pictures suck and now there's a dent or ding in the end and you go back and reference your photos and you're like, wow, it looks like somebody was running when they took this and it looks like they used a Polaroid camera from 1985 or whatever, yeah. you know, it's, yep. you want good pictures that you can use for your CYA process and, you know, what you sent, the pictures that you send to a customer when you're selling work or recommending work, uh, if they look like crap, you know, they're just going to assume that whoever took them doesn't really care. Being able to take videos that they can see what you're uh, doing to the car, explaining what you're doing to the car, all that stuff helps with customer retention. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. The other part of the uh, conferences we got to talk about too here is I had made a note about networking this is obviously so i will i'll start this out for you okay my advice don't sleep there you go <laughs> do whatever you got to do at vision there's couches except math don't do math eh, but whatever you got to do pound five hour energy drinks monsters <laughs> you'll have like crazy blood pressure the entire weekend just <laughs> there's Best couches you can sleep as little no yeah there is couches in the lobby at Vision. There you are. could just sleep on the couch. They do boot you off, um, which I felt was uncalled for. <laughs> no, I mean, definitely you want to sleep enough so you can go to class and get something out of it. You're not just conked out during class, but it's rough. It's rough when you are sitting or standing with a group of really, really smart people and you're just taking in so much. I, I get it. I get it. So, yeah, if you if you can function a few days on some low low amounts of sleep, I shouldn't say that I recommend that, but you may find yourself in that predicament. One of the things that uh, I need somebody to do, I actually talked with uh, when I just did the scan tool webinar. We were talking about it. Is I need somebody to uh, come to Vision and have a coffee cart. <laughs> because that's that's my one problem. I live in an area where we have great food and great coffee. There's a bunch of small, like independently owned coffee shops. There's like two in every small town. There's three at the bottom of the hill from my house. So when I go to events and there is no good coffee, I suffer because I stay up all night and I can't get coffee. So if somebody you wants got to cure make, eggs in their room, uh, yeah, I like iced coffee. I'm I'm just terrible. I need somebody to come and have a coffee shop at Vision for me. That's this what is we not need. the year to be able to go outside and grab some ice. Yeah. <laughs> And the one complaint I have about any conference, just about, I guess, but Vision in particular, is there is no like close walking coffee shop. There isn't. No, you're you're literally your hotel coffee is your only option. And last year, the little like coffee shop that was in the hotel wasn't open the whole time. So, oh man, that did me in. So stay up all night, get coffee from somewhere, but you're probably going to have to DoorDash it in. Or last year, I'll, I don't know if I want to tell my secret so that it gets, <laughs> it gets taken, but last year, there was a bunch of iced coffees in the vending machines, and I grabbed one for each morning when I walked in the hotel. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Uh, oh man. Uh, as Matt was saying about staying up, the uh, for Vision in particular, <clears throat> since that's the next event, there's the small like lobby bar area, and you never know who you're going to find standing there. So I would say, you know, just when you don't have class, go sit there. Make sure if you see groups of people, you know, walk up, introduce yourself, try to talk to everybody. Uh, don't go back to your room unless you need to. I think that's one of the yeah. At least don't things. go camp out. Yeah, yeah. Don't go hide. I did a uh, like small workshop for uh, the law firm that my wife works with. They were inquiring about networking and how to meet more clients and things like that. And they're big on sending people to conferences. And I they uh, had everybody in the meeting that they send to conferences. And I asked all of them. I says, when you're not sitting in a class, what do you do? And they all kind of you to see them kind of looking around. They're looking at everyone's screens, and they're like. Go back to our room. I go, eh, wrong answer. (laughs) So I changed, you know, told them all they had to stay, you know, out in the lobby. They had to talk to people. They had to push themselves to network. I said, when you're, you know, on your way to the conference, you get in an Uber. He says, have you ever asked the Uber person what they, you know, did, why they're driving for Uber? And everyone said, no, that's a lost opportunity. Talk to as many people as you can. Uh, Last year, on my way to Vision, I had asked the uh, Uber driver that was taking me to the hotel uh, what he did. He was retired, and I could tell he was retired, and I asked him, you know, what he did for a living. Uh, He was in cell phone, uh, like, minute cards back before smartphones were a thing, and he was one of the, like, first ones into it and made millions of dollars and bailed like six months before smartphones came out because <laughs> somebody had shown him a smartphone and he was like, well, my business is over. So he sold it <laughs> and made out like a bandit and then disappeared. But he told me, I'm like, well, tell me about how you started the business and how you grew the business. And he told me everything from like day one of how he had done it and what he did. And so you never know whether you're in an uber or you're sitting in the lobby of a hotel of who you might meet and it you know most of these conferences a lot of times the person you're talking to might be the owner of a company might be a trainer that's there you know you never know who you're gonna see and you gotta ask them what they do and you know how they got in the industry and uh hear their story yes sir when you see matt just make sure that you ask him to introduce <laughs> to all of his friends. Yeah, I don't have any. I have to introduce him to like the hotel clerks. If you want to meet all the important people, you just follow Matt Fanslow around yeah. at each event. That's the this key. This is Tanner. <laughs> He's all you need to know. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel towards you. Just follow you around, get introduced to people. Right, yeah. <laughs> you and Scott Manna. I usually walk up to them like, hey, how's it going? They're like, why are you bothering me? Get out. <laughs> I told you last time. Some, somewhere I still have a picture on my phone that you took from like six stories up. And I think we were at... Oh, you and Bryn uh, and yeah. I think, was it DeFazio? I think so. Uh, one of the, I think, Illinois conference yeah, or something. Um, did they still call it Can at the time? That's what I was thinking it was, was Can. They might have still called it Can. Yeah. That had to have been pretty much the last time. I think so. I I came down essentially because uh, Baumhart was going to be there. I hadn't seen him in a long time, and Xanders was teaching, and so we went to Cannon's class together, and then uh, I got to see Jeremy O'Neill present. That was pretty good, actually. He was um doing a service advisor versus technician. 
and not like a battle royal, but just the communication. It was it was quite good. He's a really really good presenter, and my favorite thing about him. I mean, not to turn this the Jeremy Jeremy O'Neill uh, advertisement, but what I really like is the guy grew up. I think in like a we'll just say like a, a training company a consulting firm for shops service advisors, but he'd never really worked in or owned a shop. And one day he's like starting his own company and presenting somewhere. And somebody's like, you don't know what you're, you don't own a shop. You don't know what you're talking about. So he goes and buys a shop and he purposely buys like, you know, whatever it means to say the worst shop, but this shop that is not in such a good state of, um, you know, business of success. He buys that one. And in a bad area, a horrible area. And now it's like, yeah, now I got to prove my crap works. Right. And I think he has and, and evolved it. Of course, he, I don't think he would ever imply that anything and everything he ever did or taught up to that point was spot on, but man, he's been honing that now. So yeah, if you're management service advisor, even a tech, I, uh, I definitely recommend hitting a Jeremy O'Neill class. I agree. I think trying to get a class from as many management people as you can. Um, one of the things that's kind of killing me lately is you know, there's obviously several management companies out there that you know they want you to only take their classes and go to their event. And then when you go to a conference, they're like, oh, you know, our guys are teaching an event there and they expect their people to sign up for all those classes. And then you get an echo chamber that you don't learn anything. Yep. You go right back to... I've learned all of this stuff. This is, you know, great. I got to see everybody, but I didn't learn anything new. So sit in and on as many, you know, different management people as you can see. Everyone's going to have a different opinion, a different perspective on something, have a different story that might help you, different way to, uh, you know, I always talk about the uh, labor matrixes that we look at shops that go you know my guys struggle to turn 35 hours a week and somebody else's shop is like my guys turn 65 hours a week and we see it all the time in the facebook groups and i am always explaining this and they're like i just i don't understand and i go what are you doing with your labor rate you know what are you doing do you have a matrix set up what do you mean well in a lot of shop management softwares there's a multiplier and if you put it to 0.5 or 1 or 1.5 or whatever you know that <laughs> be or 2 all of a sudden when that tech is turning 2 or you're charging 2 hours nor pulling 2 hours I should say out of labor time you're getting you know 3.5 instead or 4 or whatever your matrix is set to now all of a sudden your techs are turning 50 or 60 hours a week and you didn't do anything you tweaked one metric in your software and boom all of a sudden you know you're making a lot more money your techs are making more money and that's an industry like standard thing if you go to training if you don't or you have a coach that hasn't ever told you that then you might not know that i have been to management classes no i'm not defending vision i just don't think they were at vision um but at training conferences and a, a couple of them where they they have the salesman rolling into the shop and you know go up to this class for free and then uh get a bunch of information and then you can t talk to one of their consultants and they'll come in and analyze your business. And if you want sign up with them and they'll help you save your business or make money or make more money, whatever, you know? Yep. I've been in freaking classes where they go on this KPI BS 
And not that KPIs are complete BS. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's, it's just like diagnostics. You need to know what that tool is telling you. You also need to know what it's not. Yeah. Or you need to know what this test is telling you. You also need to know what it's not. You need to know what that KPI is telling you. You also need to know what it's not telling you. And I've been to these classes where they're like, if your techs are not cranking out at 120% production, meaning I believe off the cuff, I think that's like nine hours a day. If they're not turning nine hours a day consistently, you need to put them on flat rate. You need to motivate them. What? What? Like what sane human being would sit there and go like, oh yeah. In what other world does that function? You know what I mean? Like, Yep, exactly. That production is like a 30,000 foot view. You need to now go find out why. Correct. And maybe, maybe it's true. Maybe the techs need to be better motivated. Maybe they do need to be taken aside and given a talking to. But also maybe your processes suck or they don't exist. Exactly. And and it's not their fault at all. It's 100% the system you have them working in. But no, that wasn't brought up. That was like, if you're guys, if you're not getting nine hours a day, they need to be put on flat rate. Then you'll see those numbers skyrocket. Yeah, amongst other things. Exactly. Including maybe turnover, but. And comebacks. <laughs> yeah, it's like. Oh, and that's hell? a good example of, like you said, it's a you know 30,000 foot overview of maybe they don't have the labor matrix set up or the labor multiplier set up. Yeah. And, you know, now all of a sudden, like that's the one thing I guess that gets me too is I harp on this one particularly because I've worked for several manufacturers and done projects at manufacturer plants. Labor guides are guides for a reason and it's more or less pulled out of thin air. Uh, the only time to my knowledge, there could be other times, but the only uh, one that I am aware of when they actually went through and tested to see was a labor guide correct was when they did the Tacoma frame recalls. They had to figure out, is this doable? Will these come apart? And then they made a bunch of engineers do them over and over and over on rusty vehicles to find out, was it going to work? How long was it going to take? And it took like a year for them to figure out where they were going to set you know, that labor time for the recall for warranty. Aside from that, there's, uh, you know, nothing, nothing else they've ever done. That uh, blend door motor that is under the dash, they didn't, you know, go and take that one blend door motor off that says 0.2 that's on the backside of the, you know, heater box. They literally looked at, okay, well, how does this thing go apart or go together and come apart? And, you know, uh, we see it's here in the plant. You just go over and take two bolts off of it. And, yeah, 0.2, 0.5, something in there, that's okay. Not thinking about that the whole heater box has to come out or that, you know, that's why for years Toyota had uh, front control arms that on one model paid 12 hours and on another model paid 1.5 and it was the same subframe, same control arm, and it wasn't consistent across the board. Yeah, that's a really good example. Another one is, uh, I don't know if she listens to this. I hope she does. Cassie Beach. Cassie is maybe one of the smartest human beings I've ever met in my life. And she's also married to another one of the smartest human beings I've ever met in my life, John Riggle. Cassie, uh, I'm pretty sure this story is accurate, used to work for a GM dealer as a service advisor. 
Okay. Now, mind you, as service advisor, she's already the smartest person in the the shop. If I recall, uh, and I I wish I better remembered which model, and but I think it was a heater core. I'm almost positive it was a heater core called for something to the tune of like four hours. Step one, essentially, was to remove the dash. Okay. However, if you go to dash removal, it tells you the proper way on this vehicle was to pull the windshield, to remove the windshield. Well, the windshield removal was however much longer, added like another R&R, added like another two or three hours. So now all of a sudden, this heater core that they're paying four hours to do really should be taking six or seven hours to do. And so she went to either management or even Ford with this to get her text paid, including I think some back pay to do this heater core and got paid their six or seven hours instead of the four because of this glitch in the matrix, right? You're, you're basically saying pull the dash to access the heater assembly, if you will, yep. heater plenum, and then, um, remove the heater core. However, to do this properly per procedure was to have the windshield removed. She was a hero to the techs. She just got them paid an extra few hours. You know, the example of that is a one shout out to Cassie and two, the guide, the labor guide. Yeah. And the amount of shops that like, don't know that or you know have never considered that you walk into a training class somebody tells you about that explains that process and how a guide is put together and then explains there's this labor matrix and you go huh i've never heard of that and all of a sudden next thing you know on the screen is oh it's maybe it's mitchell or it's all data or shopware or tech metric it's up on the screen and you're like oh i use that program and they're like well right here's where it is you just go and you change this one little number and boom all of a sudden everything changes and you're like man if i change that you know last week the shop had i don't know fifteen thousand or twenty thousand in sales man if i had changed that we would have had thirty five thousand and you're like Nothing changed except I changed the number in the computer. <laughs> I, I can't speak to shop or tech metric. I don't know. Some of them uh, allow you to change it in ranges. So you could say vehicles that are like zero to five years old, 1.1 or 1.2, you know, times whatever the labor guide says. Yep. And then maybe five to 10 years, 1.25, 1.3, 20 years, 20 plus years. You know, you could set that up. That would be. That would be pretty interesting. Right. That seems reasonable. And it wouldn't necessarily have to be like, you know, in Minnesota, we have rust. And yes, 20-year-old vehicles often have more rust. In a lot of cases, they have less rust because if they're 20 plus years old, they're often like collector's vehicles and people have taken really, really good care of them, right? So sometimes that's not the case. But where the time is spent isn't necessarily by the tech. It's the service advisors looking for parts. Right trying to source parts that I don't remember seeing a labor line for service advisors spending 1.2 hours to locate part X. So that needs to be compensated for. Yep. So yeah, I, uh, you're right. I, there's just so much to pick up. How are you guys doing this? How are you guys doing that? That networking is 
I don't want to say everything, but it's up there. Oh yeah. It's, it's up there with everything. You know, the classes got to go to classes, but man, that nef- that networking is the icing on the cake. I would say I always learn more <laughs> during like dinner hour with sitting down with everybody. than you know, I do many times during class, you talk to people and see, you know, other mobile guys, what have you seen? What, you know, what, what I'm going to go this year and we're going to ask everybody is if everyone else has got their butt kicked on the Ford parasitic draws that we've talked about. And then I'm going to convince somebody to do the research for us to fill the class because I don't have time to do it, but somebody's got to come up with a better way on the new Fords to do it. So we're going to be talking about that at all the tables to see what everybody else has come up with this year and who else has gotten their butt kicked. And if anyone's come up with a decent way to figure out what's going on. Dude, I had one recently, a Chevy truck. I got to the point where uh, I did trace it to the um, passenger side interior fuse fuse block. I ended up pulling that thing and using my current probe and just bouncing down every wire. Yep. To finally find it annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Just so annoying. <laughs> it ended up, oddly enough, I, I don't know that I've, this is the first time that I recall ever fixing a parasitic drain with a body control module. There you go. I've never, it's always, the body control module might be causing the drain, but it's because something else has failed. Correct. It's never actually replacing the body control module fixes anything. Right. But it did on this one. And I would have bet money. I would have bet money when I found what circuit it was that it was going to the um, uh, transfer case. Okay. I would have bet money that that's what was going to be wrong. Not the transfer case itself, but switches. Yep. No. Freaking body control module. Pro- proven with the, the current probe, right? Just going to the other side of it. And it's like, wow, it's... It's going in and coming out and I can unplug these circuits and I, truth be told, I cut the wire too. Just like I started not trusting my equipment. Like, okay, maybe I've just become dumb. I mean, that's <laughs> somewhat reasonable. I cut the wire. I, I did and the same. proved it. It's like, it goes in, it don't come out. Yeah. That's funny. The, like things like this are, you know, this is just a good example of networking and learning and understanding what's going on with the Fords. Uh, Matt and I have talked about this, so I'll go into a little bit deeper detail because now he brought up body control modules. Now (laughs) I want to talk about it. So with the Fords that I've uh, had my butt kicked on now multiple times, the body control module will stay awake. And I've had many shops call and they go, they were using the fuse pulling method and they go, I have every single fuse out of the body control module and it still has a draw. And they will have like traced fuse in the junction block or battery junction block that goes to the body control module. So then they'll go to the body control module and they'll take all of the fuses out and they still have a draw. <clears throat> and then they replace the body control module and then it still has a draw after they get done. And it's because the Fords don't go to sleep when you turn the key off. They wait for a sleep signal. And if anything stays on, so, so far we have figured out cruise control switches, door lock, unlock switches, um, shifter buttons, whether it be the shift to park 
button or um, the actual, like, when the shifter goes in and pushes the switch to say that it's in park, that switch, uh, the driver and passenger and sometimes rear seats, if the seat sensor sees um, movement. So we had one truck that the seats weren't bolted down and it would intermittently, uh, the seat weight sensor would, like, just wiggle. And it wouldn't wiggle much. It was, like, a few, like, couple pounds up and down and that would wake the truck up there's all these crazy things all of a sudden that are inputs to these body control modules and you can't get them to go to sleep and we found out from one of the guys online and matt known this that somebody else taught it in one of the class i think you said maybe john that if you short the can lines it will go to sleep which that was kind of i guess a known thing that doesn't help us narrow down what's talking on the can line and then even if you realize like one of the uh, examples i saw somebody had a driver door module um, and then eventually found that it was the unlock button that was intermittently would like get stuck but even if you narrow it down to a module that's keeping the vehicle awake maybe that module still has 10 different inputs to it and i gotta figure out which of those inputs is keeping that module up and then on some of the new Fords, the fuses are, I don't even know what they're called. They're like a mini J-case fuse, and the tops don't come off of them, and there's no terminals on the top of them. So you can't do the voltage drop method across the fuses. You can't do anything. So your only option is to pull the fuses out of it. And then on some of them, they're on the top and bottom of the fuse box. And then you got to try to get the fuse box out and tip the fuse box upside down. So these particular vehicles are just becoming a nightmare. I have a suspicion that most of what you need to know is in scan data, because if it's an input, typically there's a data pit for it. However, I've had three of them now that were uh, not seeing park all the way. One had a sock on the shifter that held the shifter button down. Uh, and then the other two, one had a bad, one was an F-150 with a bad like shifter assembly. It wasn't pushing the micro switch. Um, and another was a U-Haul truck that the shifter had gotten loose in. And those stayed awake. But there was no PID for the one that had the sock on the shifter once i figured it out i went back into data list there's no pid for the shifter button and the only clue was that it kept the dash on just dumb things like that suddenly so we network we are going to talk to everybody at vision or i'm going to talk to everybody at vision and be like who else has run into this what have you came up with the only thing i've came up with is calling the customers and going what do you know doesn't work in your vehicle or what's been worked on the one that with the uh, seat that was doing it, I was like beside myself it, because it wouldn't have a draw on it and would wake up like, I don't know, an hour into it sitting or something intermittently. And even when I could get it to act up, it was just that the BCM would come up. And that was one of the shops. They took all the fuses out of the BCM and it was ah. still coming up. And we asked and they're like, well, we just had the seats out of it. Well, I went into what I could find for data for the seat weight sensors, and I found an alarm, uh, like history. It was a Ford, obviously, and it said uh, interior disturbance or something. So basically, it thought something was moving in the interior and setting off the alarm. And so we unbolted the seats, and when we unbolted the seats, we realized that nothing was clipped in, and like the seat weight sensor harness and stuff wasn't clipped in. And once we fixed all that, the truck was fixed. 
But had I not called the customer, I never would have figured that out. Yeah. I wish I could say I had a really good strategy. I thought I did. I thought I had a really good strategy, but it, you know, the Ford with the TPMS module or uh, you shouldn't even call it that more like the RKE or I think they have a better name. They may have a better name for it. Depends on which scan tool you put on it, right? You know, some of them just call it TPMS. Yeah. It might be just wireless, but um, that stupid thing was keeping the uh, BCM awake, but it was hard to get there because it was the BCM waking up and then just this massive draw. Right. Ended up thinking I came up with a genius way by watching which network woke up first and then concentrating on that network, which worked. Turns out tipping beat me to it. <laughs> Damn him. Uh, he's getting he's getting mentioned too much on this here podcast. I wonder about and I don't I've like no knowledge on this, but the um, can bus sniffers, you know, hooking one of those up and just letting it sit there and going, OK, what's talking? We talked about the Ford data bus tool that they've told us, you know, yeah, don't use, yeah, don't use the data bus when it's sick. your data bus tool when it's sleeping because Just it will sick. wake it back up. So, but having, well, you think the manufacturers would have something? Yeah, you, you you would think that they would tailor their the tools to be like, hey, oh, okay, maybe we can just put this into receiver mode. So, okay, one, plug your DL um, or VCM or whatever VCI in. See how much load it adds. So, okay, it's going to add whatever it is, 400 milliamps. Yeah. Now subtract that, and that's the drain, which, you know, should it be, should make sense. Yep. Should have been there before. And then that the tool just kind of goes into receiver mode where it's not pulling, it's just receiving. Yeah. And then it knows, like, and it will identify the modules. The thing with the can sniffers that I, I'm aware of unless somebody's done a lot of work decoding and you have to find that table, you know, I'm not sure where you go to get this, but they'll show you the module IDs. Those module IDs don't correlate to like the IDs that you would see on a scan tool or a wearing schematic. You can see something's awake. You just have no idea what it is. Correct. So you might be doing a boatload of work trying to figure out what idea is what. Yep. So if you're using the can the the can sniffer or using like Pico and the um you know network tool if you will, you, you could go through a lot a lot of work trying to figure out what's what. Serial decoder, I think that's what they call it, right? And, and it's going to be different on every single vehicle. So that's yes. the platform car line brutal so it is annoying to me that car manufacturers don't have a way of putting their scan tools or whatever you would will into a kind of a monitoring monitoring mode it seems to me like didn't mercedes do something kind of like that bmw has like a see we need justin here i forget what they call it but it monitors the draw on the vehicle puts it in sleep state and then monitors it and tells you is it like okay or not okay i don't know if it tells you like what's staying awake i just know that it gives you a feedback of yes or no it's okay i thought there was a mercedes tool it might have worked with zentry it might have been it might have predated zentry i thought you could do it with cardac either an m or the uh cardac 2 but uh or plus two that um 
it would monitor messages. Okay. I didn't get a chance to use it because I figured the the vehicle I had, I figured out more out of dumb luck than uh, any kind of sound strategy. Pretty sure Morgan, Justin Morgan was telling me about this tool I could have tried prior to that that would have maybe led me to it. But it just, it blows my mind, right? I remember GM with Tech 2, you could put everything to sleep. You could force it to sleep. Yeah. And that would be nice, but most cars, when things are all right, they kind of go to sleep pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah, it, just having it sit there monitoring and then go like, hey, you know what? BCM's waking up. And then, you know, at least then you can focus on things that would either talk to the BCM or, or switch inputs. But if it's something else, you know, it might take you darn near right to the root cause, which would be phenomenal. Just knowing what module was, you know, with the Fords in particular that I've been seeing these issues with, like, at some point there's got to be, well, obviously I know there is because that one that I said that I had saw, uh, he posted on LinkedIn that he got his lunch ate and then found the unlock lock button and then the customer was like oh yeah it hasn't worked for a while and it was because a piece of plastic was wedged in it but like i know that those guys are getting beat up by them and because there's no good way to do it so somebody at ford can come up with and say okay let's monitor the network and see what's telling the bcm to stay up because it's going to be on your wake signal is going to be your, your well, I shouldn't call it the wake signal, it's a different circuit, but your message telling the BCM to stay awake is coming in. That's the only reason it's up. So it's going to be something that you're going to be able to read and be able to say, okay, it's a driver door module or it's a seat module or it's a you know shifter module or whatever that may be. And then go to that module and go, okay, what's the inputs there? Like that just narrows it down so much. Yep. So that's what we are going to be talking about at uh, Vision and going to try to convince somebody. Uh, Scott Mana, John Thornton, you guys are. I'm going to put it on Scott's plate to do this. Scott's like retired now. So it's the new class that I need you to write. So when you guys hear this, it's what we're going to be telling them to do at Vision. I agree. It'll be almost, almost like a petition, live petition. <laughs> it's going to get thrown back. Why don't you write it? And I'm going to go because the same reason I haven't figured it out yet. Cause I don't have time to go rent a car to take it apart to figure out how I can make it do this or how I can come up with something. So, well, man, we just killed an hour. Exactly. I think this will be good for everybody attending though. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I just think, I, I think the, fundamental idea behind it all to don't be don't go hide try to interact meet uh meet people whether their names or not just people that you find out are kind of in the same predicament you are and get some contact info and um you know hit some classes you know check out some of these instructors while you still can and uh don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone, both in networking and also classes. Like why I, I, that blows my mind to go take a bunch of classes on stuff that you're doing day in and day out. I say the same thing unless they're like just murdering you. Yeah. Okay. That makes perfect sense. But your shop's killing it because you're doing a tremendous amount of 
whatever. I don't know. I don't know why you'd be in there taking a class. The diesel guys, I think, a lot of times are the ones that are the guiltiest of this. I would say, where they're you know power stroke guys or Duramax guys. Yeah. It's all pattern failure stuff. It's the same thing over and over and over again. And then they go and take those classes and they're like, well, I already knew what the pressures are supposed to be. Well, obviously, because you work on it every single day and it's the same across, you know, each of those engines. So that's a good example. Even if you're a diesel specialty shop or something, go take an electrical class. Go take something not that something that you'll still use, but that's not related to something that you will already have the information for. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Well, really, uh, letting me on your podcast. I'm ecstatic. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me come in here and talk. I, I, I want to know now, though, who's got the most uh, podcast episodes with you? Besides me? Um, I mean, it's got to be you or maybe Margaret. I got to go with you. I'll, I'll probably look into it. You got to If it's me and Margaret that are close, then we got to do one with the three of us. Yeah, right. I'm down for that. She's got a lot of good ideas for topics. Uh, you know, really just spacing them out. This is another good thing. Uh, I'm glad that we just brought her up. Uh, last year at Vision, I was talking to somebody that had gone through like some pretty dark and rough times in the year prior, and I had no clue. And his therapist had told him to go to Vision and be around people that were, you know, like minded and talk to people. And he was actually, uh, sitting with Scott and Scott was sitting down talking to him and stuff. And I don't know if he told Scott his story of like what he had told me. I was just sitting there just chatting with a guy in the lobby and it was like a huge help for him going and being around people. And he, you know, works in a job where he doesn't get to be around people a lot. So that was why the therapist told him go and, you know, try to enjoy yourself, be around, you know, be social, talk to people. And that was, you know, therapy for him. So there's that part of it too. And learning and talking to people that, you know, might be going through things or have gone through things that you can learn from as well and not be ashamed of, you know, whatever you're going through in your life. Yeah. Yeah. You meet somebody that's kind of going through something similar. You don't feel alone and you go talk to somebody or you're around somebody that's gone through something quite similar or the same or worse and came out the other side. They're an example. It's pretty close to win-win. Right. All right, man. Hope to have you on again. Of course. Anytime. Thank you. What are you doing tomorrow? (laughs) 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 Yeah. I will see you in a couple of days, man. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. I need somebody to pass the baton to before class on Pico, and then I'll go hang out. (laughs) Kind of looking forward to that. The hands-on class. Our last quick uh, thing is Matt's Pico class always has, is like star-studded with fantastic trainers that show up. So if you take that class, just they look around. They feel bad for the attendees, so they come over to help. So they're like, I can't, I can't leave them alone with him. Oh. Sean can't do it all by himself. So <laughs> then they show up. They're there for the attendees. Exactly. But it's true. It's true, though. That means, seriously, friends stop by and they're freaking awesome, geniuses, great, just great with people. You know, one year when Harvey and I did it, not, not to keep just dragging this up, but Harvey and I did it one year and it was bring whatever scope. It wasn't Pico. It was bring whatever you got. 
I mean, we had the gamut. Friends, Matt Hodges, Scott Groen, Eric Ziegler, um, I think Paul Suter, Aaron Keppen. If you don't know though, if you don't know these names, these are all terrific people's technicians. And also they worked with people. Uh, uh Pete Landry, don't want to forget Pete Landry. They each kind of had a car and they each had a small group of people using whatever scope it was. And I spent a good amount of time with them with their scopes. It was phenomenal. It was those attendees were, I mean, as instructors, Harvey and I were lucky. The attendees were extremely lucky to have that. And and we've done that kind of consistently. People show up and they end up, you know, Bob Hype will end up kind of working with a group. He just kind of pops in. You've done it. Bryn's done it. I want to say Keith has. Yes, Keith Perkins. I mean, the, the list goes on. We could We could be going for a while here. The coolest thing is, you know, seeing people that know how to use the scope, use it every single day. So they're, ah, yeah, do this, you know, this is how you should hook up. Don't do this. Don't hook up this way. You know, let's try this. This is why your signal looks this way. This is what the signal means. I mean, using a scope, one of the biggest things, you know, obviously first is, I don't know which order I should go in. You have to be able to acquire the signal, but you have to understand the signal that you're looking at. So, you know, cam and, cam and crank correlation, a lot of times people, as they're learning scopes uh, and that I've taught in the past and stuff, they'll get a signal and then send it to me and go, is this good? And I'm like, I don't know. We got to compare it because we're wondering, you know, they're looking timing. Is timing good? And I'm like, I have no idea. We don't know by just looking at it. Got to find a known good. So them understanding what they're looking at and why they're looking at it, uh, ignition patterns and stuff, and understanding now the you know what you find in a book about ignition patterns in comparison today, you might not be able to use an ignition pattern because you might only be getting secondary, and that secondary signal that you're getting might not mean anything anymore because the coil's too insulated. So knowing you know having those people that are in the class that can tell you yeah we've you know this is what i do every day i use the tool every day and giving you guidance on how to do it how to make it easier understanding your signals that's stuff that you don't get many opportunities to learn hands-on with somebody so that class and you know just having those people like you matt tries to throw all the other names out there but the amount of knowledge that you know about pico and using it and when to use the scope, when to use the scan tool and understanding that, you know, maybe now in some cars it's not worth doing cam and crank because we don't need to anymore. And so, you know, just learning that knowledge, you know, well being with those people is just phenomenal. I agree. Thank you for the putovers. Thank you for the compliments. Checks in the mail, sir. <laughs> no no money needed. I owe you an iced coffee or I, I will take an iced coffee. If somebody wants to, I'm telling you right now, if somebody comes to Vision with a coffee cart and parks it outside, they will get my money every morning. Well, see you in a few days. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you to Nap Auto Tech Training for sponsoring. Thank you to the Aftermarket Radio Network for really making this all possible. If you have ideas for episodes or like hearing episodes like this and want more of them, Drop me an email at mattfonslowpodcast at gmail.com or send me a message via Facebook Messenger or just hack my Facebook account like somebody from probably outside the United States. 
You know what? They're probably tricking us. It's probably from Canada. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.